Hello, Dave. Ian. And hello, Patrick George. Thank you for David coming Ian. on our show. Hello, thank you for having me, guys. We're happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Patrick George is the editorial director for Brookline Media. Uh, he's in charge of sites like uh, The Drive, Car Blogs, Task and Purpose, The War Zone. Uh, and did I miss anything? Uh, no, but I, I sadly have to be that guy and correct you. It's Car Bibles, not Car Blogs. Uh, they do have Car Blogs. Car, blogs? car Bibles. Oh, yes, God. of course. <laughs> After we had it's Rosales on, too. Yeah. I forgive you. It's okay. We're, I'll let it pass this one time. You're fine. Is it like Attorney's General, Car's Bible? Yeah. I love, I love using Attorney's General. It's such a great <laughs> phrase to use. You know, I started my career as a crime reporter. And like, that's one of my favorite phrases to use is attorneys general. You just, it's, it's, it's so not common, but it's a great, great construction. Anyway, that's, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the car. So I'll move on. Wow. You're a crime reporter. I want to dig into that a bunch, <laughs> but yeah, that'll, that'll be on my true crime podcast that I haven't started yet. And nice. Yes, yeah. I could give you some, uh, <laughs> there's a lot we could talk about. Probably I'll, I'll need a different drink than the seltzer water I'm drinking right now. Some of that. But I'm, yeah. I'm also hyper squeamish, so I would be afraid to do my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Cars. Cars Bible. Yes. yes. We like them. Yes. Cars Bible. Cars Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I think we, I've wanted to have you on the show for a, for a long time and I just never like figured out like the exact questions that I wanted to ask you. But then we had, um, Chris Rosales on for who's one of your writers for. Our Thank you. Chris is awesome. Thank you for having him yeah. on. What a, what a great guy he is. Love Chris. Yeah. And we were writing, we were, or we were talking about his article about gentrification was, mm. uh, kind of what drew his, or, you know, brought him to our attention or whatever. And so we kind of got deep up our butts about that. And, and it kind of like um, reminded me of a question that I've had for a long time. And I realized that you were the perfect person to talk to about it, which is just sort of like where we are in this moment for automotive journalism and kind of mm -hmm. car culture in general, but specifically automotive writing. And what I mean by that is like, um, you know, obviously, like every other medium, we're going through this big shift towards like democratized new media, new media, new voices and all of that. But there's a lot of nostalgia out there for mm -hmm. the bygone era of, of, of magazines. And as someone who's kind of right in the middle of that shift, you know, I'm kind of wondering what your uh, kind of opinion is about the state of automotive journalism. Yeah, no, I definitely have strong thoughts on all of that. Happy to, happy to chat about that, for sure. Yeah, so I think the first thing is, the thing that kind of ties this to the gentrification thing is like, it's what is worth preserving? It's a, it's a talk about like, what's worth preserving in the thing that brought us to where we are in the first place versus how do we make it bigger and more accessible to uh, a larger audience and more people? And... Uh, so I just want to start out by like asking you when you were kind of coming up or reading about cars, like what drew you to pick up a car magazine when you were a kid or whatever? Yeah, no, great question. Um, and no, I, I think I've been, I've been into cars as long as I remember, like a lot of people I got into this, um, from my dad, my dad's a big car guy. He still is. He owned, uh, throughout my, my youth, like with my, my dad's really 
great father. He was always a responsible man, you know, really just did everything he possibly could for his kids and still does. But when he could swing it, he would have something fun. It wasn't all the time, but he, throughout my childhood, he had a Miata at one point. Um, he had a Corvette Z06, a C5. I learned to drive stick on that car, uh, which when you learn to drive stick on a car like that, you can um, learn you drive stick on anything <laughs> afterward. Um, he had an E46 M3 convertible manual uh, for a time. I loved that thing when I, I didn't get to drive much as I was, I was already an adult at that point. But um, I got a little bit from him and I got it from, um, you know, other friends of his who were into motorsports. I grew up playing Grand Turismo, I grew up playing Mario Kart. And I, as soon as I turned 15, I'm 36 now, as of a month ago. So I was still that, uh, I was still that teenage age where teenagers still care about cars back then. Right. I think they still do today, but I, it, it, it's possibly less pronounced than it was. But like me and a bunch of my friends, as soon as we were like license eligible, like we got really into car culture and driving and, you know, I, I, you know, what we could, what we could modify, what we could do to our cars, we could, how we could wrench on them. And, you know, it's no coincidence that I think Fast and the Furious came out when I was either 15 or 16. I was like, holy crap, this is a movie for us. And as, as absurd as that movie is, it did fuel a lot of the youth car culture at the time. Um, you know, Fast and Furious definitely created a an image for a sort of uh, by that point bygone era of tuning in Southern California. It, that that the, the the fictionalized version of that went mainstream. And I grew up as a, as a kid in Texas. I sort of went along with it. Um, so how did I get into this? I guess I, that was just something I I, I remember growing up, uh, I'd always been interested in writing and I was interested in journalism. I was on my middle school newspaper staff, on my high school newspaper staff. Uh, but I always read car magazines. I, I loved Automobile. I loved uh, Ezra Dyer. He was my favorite. I loved David E. Davis. Um, I liked Road and Track a lot and Car and Driver. I sometimes read Motor Trend. I mean, I would just go through, go to my grocery store and just pour through everything and would buy the magazines that like had the comparison test or the new car test that I liked best. Even for stuff I didn't end up buying. Like I, I just feel like soaked up all of this knowledge between that and playing video games like Gran Turismo too. Like I just, it was like the best education you could get. And if somebody was interested in writing and interested in journalism too, I never really thought I had this career where I would like be in automotive journalism, but I still soaked up all that knowledge. I soaked up all that, like how to do this job and how to tell a story that way and what it means to test these cars and what it means to, you know, deliver a meaningful uh, buyer's guide to somebody. So that was, you know, that was how I got into it. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of, it, it, I, like I said, I never really expected to be doing this as my job job, but I, um, I started as a young newspaper reporter in Austin, Texas. And I was, I graduated from college like right around the recession and you know, work was not great. So I freelanced a lot. And when I wasn't like covering murders for the Austin America States, then I wrote, I wrote, uh, I freelanced for some automotive ads because this was something I knew and I, I, I okay. speak authoritatively about it. And, um, you know, it was, it was good money, uh, it helped me pay the bills. And I was a young journalist just starting out. And over time, I was kind of like, I sort of enjoy this more than getting kicked out of bed at 2 a.m. to cover a police shooting. Um, <laughs> and a part time gig do. at Jalopnik turned into a full time gig. And then within a few years, I was a editor in chief. So that's kind of how I got to where I am. That's amazing. Okay. That, that's amazing. There's so much like topography to uncover there. Like, I think that, yeah. like, I'm 43, Ian's closer to your age, right? 
Um, so you in your late thirties, Ian doesn't like to be defined as that. Right. Um, but like we were at this era when we were growing up where there was not so much of a digital area for us to escape to. Right. So totally. print, yeah. print media was like largely an escape for us. Right. Like I, I loved car magazine, you know, like all of that stuff. And like, I think it, it really, the magazines gave me something personally, like I, like I read comic books. I, I don't have much of an attention span. Right. So, yeah. But like these kind of like smaller, you know, somewhat long form articles that were not books, right. Like could really hold my interest and I could really dive into them. Right. And then there was just all the crazy fun stuff that you picked up along the way. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, just like all the odd stats and the video games and like this whole encompassing culture, you know, but yeah. And now that like, now that, kids when they are 15 you know have this and way earlier have this online environment to escape into right like the automotive space of that is it's now there for them in a way that like we never had that before right yeah 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 totally no there was like the best we could do back then was probably the forums honestly yeah um and then, you know, I, I remember in college, I would read Autoblog, I would read Jalopnik, I would read The Truth About Cars uh, during yeah. that, that site's heyday. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember, like, there was a time when, like, all those blogs were kind of feuding at each other. They would just, yes. like, endlessly snipe at one another, too. But you're right, that didn't come along until, like, the sort of, like, 2.0 era of the internet. It wasn't really there in the the early days of, of when we all started getting online. Right. And I remember when Autoblog first, like when they got a Rolls Royce press car. Yeah. And like that, like that for some reason was just a switch that flipped in my mind that like completely legitimized automotive online journalism. It's not like it needed to be justified to me before, but like if I explained like a, a car blog to my dad, right? And like he wouldn't quite get it, but if he saw that mm-hmm. this car blog got a Rolls Royce press car, like then that <laughs> would put it on the level of Motor Trend and Popular Mechanics, right? Right, right. Like, right. Yeah, his stuff, you know. Yeah, I... yeah, and I, yeah. I, I, I think that the the thing that's interesting too is like each one of these jumps that we're talking about, like where like I think automobile was a big deal too because back in the day that was sort of a like it was a much less like formal less like stat driven more narrative type yeah. magazine right no no boring cars was their tagline which is which today remains a a un, unassailable a plus tagline for an auto publication right thing. yeah absolutely and i mean that was always my that was always my favorite um yeah. but then like fast and the furious like oh it doesn't it doesn't look like uh, you know uh, the car show that is happening at the malt shop or whatever and then mm-hmm. and then top gear was an, another big thing where like as bad as like kind of cringy as like things like the cool wall are now yeah where you know it's like some of the things that are saying is like oh well that's terrible um <laughs> If I'd add real quick, also, if we're talking about magazines of that era that mattered, we we would be derelict in our duties if we did not mention Sport Compact Car. Oh yeah, uh, which yeah. which is a magazine that I absolutely loved and and worshipped and admired um, for a lot of reasons. The fact that like I then as now was not a great mechanic growing up. Like I was not the kid who could like 
Like I, I could do some bulldogs. I could talk to my friends about horsepower specs and, and stats and things like that. But I was never like reassembling, uh, you know, a transmission in my driveway when I was 50. I wish, the retrospect, I wish I learned to do that. But sport compact car walked that line between like, here's the cool stuff you can affordably maybe buy new or like if you're a teenager, like when you're out of college and you get a Civic Si, like a Mazda Speed Protege or, you know, the first WRX that came to America. And also it had like the light tuner thing to it, but it makes the cool storytelling that automobile had. Like it really spoke to that generation of, of enthusiasts for about um, five to eight, 10, maybe years straight. It was just like, that was like the place to go. Um, and I'll tell you this too, when my parents moved out of their house into an apartment a couple of years ago, when they were just getting older and didn't want to deal with, you know, the spaces as, as parents do, I had this massive stack of um, sport compact car magazines that like I sold in a garage sale to some kid who drove by. I think, I think he was at a, a lower protege. Now that I think about it, <laughs> I sold him the stack of magazines for like a hundred bucks. And the minute he drove away, I immediately regretted it. I should have gone <laughs> after him and just, just fucking bought it back. Uh, but like, yeah, sport compact car, one of the all time greats. And it, it deserves, uh, I, I, I think that it's, it's unless you're like our age, you don't really remember it as much, but it deserves more than it gets today. I think. Yeah, no, it's it's a keystone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I only read it a handful of times. I, you know, I I was in Michigan when I was a teenager, and uh, so imports were not yeah. like uh, <laughs> looked fondly upon. But I do remember reading it every once in a while. I wonder, has it been digitized at all, or is it is it out there? I'm sure somebody owns the rights to that brand, but I, I remember me and my old boss at Jalopnik, Matt Hardegree, used to joke about buying their archives and digitizing them, and just, just, just putting out articles on Jalopnik hey. under that banner or all the time. It never happened for whatever reason, but like, I wish someone would do right by that archive of stories. It's a, I think it's a, it's a hell of a time capsule for, for that era of, of, of you know, Sports compact cars, which is a, a segment in and of itself that barely exists anymore, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. I, yeah. I think of a red Civic every time I, I think of sport compact car. Like that red Civic, the iconic like Civic with all the white graphics, yeah. like just pops straight into my mind. Like it's so You gotta remember they would they would do these like ten car shootouts, like the Dodge Neon SRT, the WRX, the Lancer Evo, the Civic SI of the time. Everything we were uh, playing. You know, in the che- like the Chevy Cobalt SS, just like everybody had like some sort of turbocharged four cylinder sedan or or coupe at the time with a manual. And most of them were NA until the first WRX came to this country and then like immediately wiped the floor <laughs> with everything else. Like the, the Centra SCRV spec, like none of those cars exist anymore. It's all it's all crossovers now, like right. compact crossovers. It sucks. Yeah, yes. yeah, and it's yes. so crazy because I've I've driven most of those cars that you're talking about, like you know, like the Celica GTS is another one. Yeah, like, yeah. all of those front wheel drives, sports cars, and I talk to people about those now, and they're just like, "What are you talking about?" Like people have. <laughs> Like even just people my age that don't remember that they existed, you know? Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah. And that was, that was, that was a, not only, it was a lucrative market at one point, like going after those like recent college grads or like financially empowered, like teenagers who were like, that just does that, that market barely exists. I guess there's still a WRX and the Civic SI is, is really excellent. The current one, but that, that, that field has just winnowed down to a, just a handful of survivors from that era. 
So, you know, how, how things change, you know? Yeah, because now Ford's not, even, Ford's not even doing it anymore, right? So it's, yeah, it's yeah. really nobody. We have yeah. folks in, in like clapped out G35s, like, you know, yeah, like <laughs> just trying to carry the torch for now. Yeah. yeah. God bless those people. Sorry I we know. got way of the weeds on Sport Contact Art. No, you were asking about no. uh, Matt, you, 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 it seems like you want to talk about magazine culture versus where we're at now and how, how the kids who are into cars get, you know, consume media and uh, interact with other fans, right? It's, it's kind of like, how do we get from here to there in a, in a pretty short period of time? It's none of us that old. Yeah, I, I think that's a much more succinct way of doing it than what I was doing. But yes, basically, yeah. I, and, I, and I think, like, what, what can we take from the magazine era? What was good about the magazine era is worth preserving while still moving things forward and making things accessible to a larger audience and, and, and kind of incorporating all of these subcultures that I think we're more aware of as car fans now. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So here's how I think is that auto journalism, if you do it right, it's two, it's two kinds of things. It's a service and it's selling a fantasy. On one hand, you have the, like, do I buy the, um, you know, uh, BMW X3 or the Mercedes, you know, GLC, like, like the very practical, here's what you need to know because you're a normal person buyer buying a car or you're, or you're an enthusiast who knows this stuff and you just need to need some practical buying advice. And then there's the, I drove a Lamborghini in the South of France right. and wrote a beautiful 4,000 word pay on uh, about it. And like, that's, that's ba- that that kind of the last thing is useless to almost everybody because like no one will ever do that stuff. I've only done shit like that a couple of times myself. Like that that is that is very much like print magazine fantasy stuff. But it's fun. It's fun to imagine. Like it's fun to just you know you're. I've been that guy. You're that bored like you know bored at your day job and you just think like man I wish I could take a Lamborghini to the south of France. Um, that's. I think that if you're doing automotive content, I hate I hate the word content personally, but like for lack of a better term, ha- hashtag content, hashtag content. Whether <laughs> it's videos or it's it's social posts or it's just storytelling, it, it generally needs to be one of those two things. I think Jalopnik specifically. I'm tooting my own horn here a little bit too because I think that we we tried are very hard to stretch the boundaries, and the drive does this now too. Uh, like, and, and they always have, but I mean, we were trying to wrap this up last year. But like, when I think back, when I was EIC of Jalopnik and they not just overseeing that work like I do now, we tried to stretch the boundaries of what an automotive publication could do. And it was, you know, the stories weren't just about cars. So the best stories were about drugs and sex and corruption and right. human failure and tragedy and triumph and technology and material science and energy and just all the things that go into cars, you know, like, like things that somebody, if he went to a dinner party with a bunch of people who don't give a shit about cars at all, um, if they found a story interesting, that was a worthy Jalopnik feature to us. And I think we were always trying to aim for that audience that we didn't have, but wanted. And I think that's, that's something we have to do today. Uh, if, if, if car culture is going to be relevant, like we, we have to be evangelists for car culture too. Right. And you can do that, you know, like these, these big wide ranging stories where or these kind of dug videos that are, that are, that are really amusing. I'm going to get to YouTube in a minute too, or you can do it with the, 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 the service side, which is, you know, like the very practical cars.com auto trader, auto guide, like buyer's guide stuff. I'm not digging on that. The drive does that too. That's very important to what we do, but you're, 
it's, it's, it's that walking that line between the mainstream buyers who just need to know like which Subaru they should buy. And then like the people who are like us and want to talk about this stuff and want to sell, want to read a dream. I, I think that's, that's what has to be done to ensure this industry is survival moving forward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a really great way to put it. And the, the way the terms that I was thinking about it was, were pretty similar to that is that like every sort of like plateau that we've gotten to with, with media and like its reach for as far as automotive media, it's been kind of that service thing that you've been talking about. It kind of becomes the new baseline, the new language mm-hmm. of the service. Right. And then someone figures out a way to articulate how, what or why cars matter beyond their numbers or their utility. Um, mm-hmm. And I think like, like automobile or sport compact figured out a way to, to tell that story beyond just like zero to 60 times and things like that mm-hmm. like experience. Right. And then top gear to, um, uh, you know, compared to like, um, Oh God, the, the, the PBS show <laughs> I'm blanking on now. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah. Motor week, right. Motor yeah. Week. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. like, Right. So like Top Gear has talked about like an X factor and the cool wall and all that sort of stuff. And like what that there was some intangible thing with cars. I mean, I think Jalopnik was another kind of like step up on that same trajectory. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. And I I think this also it's worth noting that just like this is me putting my editorial director hat on a bit. It's just like it's not just the mediums themselves that change. It's how they make money that's different. Okay, if you're automobile and it's like 2000 or whatever, your job is like sell ads, put ads in the magazine, then let the staff do whatever the hell they want. Go to the south of France, have adventures. Now it's like the internet makes everything quantifiable. Everything is data-driven. There's data points around everything we do. We know how much traffic we get from a story about trucks. We know how much revenue we get from that that traffic. Um, We do things like you know, car buying tools and we get revenue from conversions too. Like it's, it's uh, from getting people to use those car buying tools to buy the next Subaru or whatever. So like, I think that the way these publications make money has also changed the dynamic a little bit too. Um, if you're going to launch a business tomorrow on the digital space, it's a hell of a lot safer to just do like a very consumer focused uh, car buying platform or research platform than it is to be like, get money from investors or whomever to be like, oh, we're going to do is me and my friends are going crazy adventures. Like that's hard to sell. And it's hard to sell ads against that. And it's hard to monetize that. Like this, the, the dynamic in this industry has changed. And I think that you've got to have um, a lot of different sources of your revenue in order to make publications survive today. So like that's really boring business talk, but like that is the no. reason why things have changed a little bit too, you know? Chapter doesn't have that problem because it like makes money. It's also kind of subsidized by like the British government, <laughs> right. which can drive us not. Um, right. You know, we, we make we make most of our money uh, laundering money for ISIS. Um, <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. I, I don't think that's the case. Um, I know another I know another publication that may be laundering money, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into what that is here. It, uh, it's not like corruption and you know ne'er do wells and cars have ever intersected in the past, Patrick. So yeah. you'd have you'd have you'd have yeah. to ask that. I don't know, our yeah. answer, but I think that that's that's the you know as technology has changed, so has what pays the bills, and right. we uh, we do exist in a capitalistic industry here. It's like I I'm kind of really uh, I'm, 
my wife just texted me. That was a really bad joke. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's her keeping me responsible here. Um, <laughs> I, I like that you have an editor. The editor has an editor. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I the editors. <laughs> yeah. I've yeah. got some notes. <laughs> the, the real boss. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, it's it, it, it's an interesting. That, that that's what changed the dynamic here a little bit, a little bit too. I, I I'm kind of I'm jealous also of the guys at Hypertrash magazine. Have you ever uh, you ever read Hypertrash? No. Okay, look them up. They're they're on Instagram, and that's like I told them this too. It's like Hypertrash is what like Salop or the Drive would be if like none of us had to worry about making money. It's just it's just fun, and it's like they just do cool articles. It's very it's like a car zine. You guys remember zines? People just like yeah. make zines in their basement and shit. Yeah, yeah. read Hypertrash. This, this publication is like owns. It's so cool what they do, and it's like it's so like liberating and free, and it's just around cool storytelling. Like their 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 debut issue is a Ferrari F40 on fire. I'm like, all right, already I'm on board with whatever you guys are doing. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. No um, yeah, so like I wish all of us had that ability to do that zine energy. Still, yeah. I'm not saying it's gotten too slick and corporate, but like there's realities that go into this now that the used to exist. Yeah, well, and I mean that sort of you know, kind of dovetails with another thing that we talk about a lot on this show, which is that you can't separate car culture from culture culture and, you know, where we are with just media in general. I mean, it's not a great place. My wife is a writer. um, Mm. So I'm painfully aware of of how we value writers uh, monetarily in this society. I I think that's a really good way to put it about not, um, you can't separate car culture from culture. I think I kind of know where you're going with this when you're, you're talking about how to speak to younger generations and reaching broader audiences and making sure that like you're reaching more diverse audiences. What we want to do, like that's a great way to put it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. It's something that we've kind of been, it's a conversation that we've kind of been slowly moving towards for a while now. And just, uh, you know, we, we do this for fun so we can just like, Take our time, take our sweet time getting there, which is what we've done. <laughs> well, we yeah. we never view like just a thing without any kind of context whatsoever, right? Like it's not just like a it's not just a Buick, right? But like all of the machinations that have created the Buick, the market mm-hmm. that it's in, the way people perceive it. And then also all of the things that about car culture that have kept other people from coming in like all of the gatekeeping all of the misogyny all of the homophobia all of the racism like all of that stuff like we're like we only get the we only get better car culture with more people period right Mm -hmm. and so it's i mean until we start policing our corner of culture our subcultures it's not going to get any better right but we want to look back on it and know that we've made an effort to make car culture better you know i i definitely agree and like this is what i'm the spiel i'm about to give you on that is is one i've given to many people over the years but like we have to make this tent bigger if it's going to survive at all that's it because when you look at when you look at the technological changes that are coming to this industry um electrification uh, but to a much greater degree, autonomy. These are changes that I don't think are really conducive to an enthusiastic culture. Fast electric cars, maybe sure, but like right. driverless cars, like hell no. Like that is not something anyone gets excited about. Um, th- this this hobby, this passion, has to embrace a lot of different people. It has to embrace younger people. It has to embrace people of different uh, gender expressions. It has to embrace more people of color if it's going to survive what's going to come. 
and I've seen so many times over, like people coming together over cars and, and, and mm-hmm. bonding with one another and getting past their differences and helping their neighbors and just like, just like forming like meaningful human connections over this. And like that will go away if, if we stick to just like the old, like not to get, uh, I, I don't know, discriminatory against, you know, it generationally, like the, the, the baby boomer way of just like, this is the Ford Mustang meetup and this is the Chevy meetup. I don't like these newcomers and I don't like the way you've done your car. I don't like the way that they've modified your car. Like we've got to be open to everybody now right. or this, 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 this passion, this hobby, it does not have a future. I very strongly believe that. No, I think you're, yeah. I think you're totally right. And I think that the, uh, the, we, there are instructive lessons from other subcultures uh, around us. And I think mm-hmm. the one that I think about all the time is, uh, is gun culture. Um, yeah where like that's a just a blueprint of how not to do it right like mm-hmm. how how you can just get so insular and closed off from the rest of society that the rest of society just wants to take your toys away yeah you know and and that's it um and they there has been so many opportunities where they could have um gone i have a big thing about like i think that uh guns should look like race cars like you can you can own an F one car. You can't take it in public, but you can own one. You know, and that's <laughs> yeah. and so gun ranges should be like racetracks, and you should yeah. be only allowed to use semi automatic weapons like gun ranges, and that's the only I can, place I they're can't, I can't remember which gun publication this was because I'm not. I'm not really. I grew up in Texas. I'm not really a gun guy myself. But it was a couple of years ago. This one of the bigger ones. Like they had like their editor in chief did an op ed. I want to say after um, the Newtown tragedy and was like wrote an op-ed was like you know guys maybe we should talk about some reasonable gun gun control reform maybe we should talk about we should just start talking about some common sense things and like he like lost his job over it because the backlash against him was so Uh, furious and i have obviously have my own opinions on that whole thing we don't really need to go into but i i like is that what you want out of your car out of your culture i mean like is that do do you want it to be you hold certain truths to be so unassailable that they, that they can't be critiqued, they can't be discussed, they can't be made, made better. Right. We have to reconcile with the fact that, like, cars, like, are really cool, but, like, we shouldn't have built society around them. Exactly. Like, they, they, they make, tra- like, we, like, traffic, uh, pollution, the way we've designed cities, the way that we have, uh, you know, highways have, have uh, impacted people of color in 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 american cities that like you know highway design and, and transit design is very 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 closely linked to racism like we we can't ignore all of the bad things that, that cars and right. commuter culture have done in this country especially especially in america where we're a country that really came of age with the automobile like you you can't turn a blind eye to that yeah and and i think that's this sorry i'm sorry dave i, I just want to jump on this real quick because i think this is the double-edged sword of the of our conversation before of like looking back towards like of, of nostalgia being a garbage emotion. Right. I was because, just going to yeah. quote you on that, Ian. I was just <laughs> going to quote you on that. Yeah. So this is where nostalgia can be a garbage emotion. Cause if we go too far down the, like, I remember how things used to be, we mm-hmm. risk falling into that trap of, of where gun culture fell and saying like, we can't accept any change. Right. Um, because that's not yeah. the way it used to be. Right. Yeah. All right, and that and that, and that has no, and that has no future. So like, you can do that, but like, don't expect to get your kids into this hobby. Like that, that you're passionate about. Don't expect you know 
and, and then and then don't fucking complain when like uh there are no new enthusiast vehicles being made anymore like exactly. like this is this is what you've asked for this is what how you spent your dollars this is where your priorities are you know yeah um i also want to go back a, a second too because we were talking about the economics of the of media um mm-hmm. you know i think there's always been like a feedback loop of like what the media is talking about and what manufacturers are making right i mean so it's totally the that's interesting to think about and i didn't like prepare anything on this but like it's interesting to think about how that feedback loop is affected by the differing economics of the media side Mm -hmm. so i mean there's gotta be because now the like more like uh you know service side of the journalism is is more lucrative really than Mm -hmm. before do you think that that is starting to affect is that part of the reason that we're seeing fewer enthusiast cars? I don't know how much the meat, like automotive media really has an impact on what people buy. I, I, I kind of feel like we're a bit of an echo chamber. And if I could yell at you to buy cars and manuals, it's not going to make any real meaningful difference. I think where, where it has made a difference is that if you're smart and you do what I do, you're a writer, you're an editor in this field, like you, you need you need to like get over certain things like like the brown diesel manual wagon thing like that's never it's never going to happen anyone writing in 2021 like no manual no care like like you need to get your head examined like this is just the way things are like sorry like it, it's a lot of those ships can fail like i i really admire when car and driver did um their save the manuals campaign like the 2010s but it it, it, it amounted to exactly zero like we've all got to be a little more pragmatic. And I think that we've got to, we, I think I, I, this industry as a whole has gotten better about this in recent years, but it's like, you've got to understand what buyers actually want, what normal people actually want, what, what average people actually want. Like you can't, you can't just be like lambasting folks for not buying a Lotus every time they need to right. buy a new car. And I've met, I've met all the writers who do that. And I'm like, you like, like, you know, like you need a reality check, man. Like, you know, this is just, a little bit more pragmatism among our, our crowd of dreamers and enthusiasts will go a long way, I think. Yeah, I just wonder if maybe because the automakers are also more aware of what keeps the lights on at, at some of these publications mm-hmm. and that it is like that people are still writing about saving the manuals, but people aren't clicking on those, right? Like they're, that's yeah. not what's driving traffic, right. but the automakers also know that, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think they care. I mean, I've, talk, I've had this conversation with every, every automaker, I think, in my entire career. It's like, it's like you know, we don't. Like, you, you can complain that there's, like, not a manual on the Supra, a new one, and new Toyota Supra. Like, we don't give a shit. Nobody cares. Like, you know, they don't, they don't. Probably the only one that really still, I think, is afraid of being labeled as, like, not an enthusiast company anymore is BMW. And, like, they, they will still put manuals on some of their, some of their models, although that, 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 the selection has really narrowed in recent years. Like the new M3, M4 still a manual. Like I haven't driven that car yet, but like I wrote Road and Tracks review of it last week. And the manual version of the new M3, M4 is not that good. Like you have this insanely high tech car, you know, top to bottom, and you are, you are running like, you know, basically mid 20th century transmission technology in the name of engagement or whatever. Like it doesn't, it, it's just, I really think that they're they're just afraid of like the headlines a little bit on that, and I can't imagine how many they actually sell. That won't last forever, though, you know. Yeah, right. them and probably Porsche, right? With I mean, they came out with the mm-hmm. R in response to 
all the used 911 prices and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the Porsche does it too. I, I, I feel like BMW, just in my travels, a bit more thin-skinned, but um, a little bit. I think that Porsche can is, is a little more apt to fall back on, like, the last time. Well, you know, our customers want, like, the fastest car around the Nürburgring, and it's not going to be a car with a seven-speed manual. It just, it just isn't. Right. Um, you know, and I, I tend to think of, like, the, the no-manual, no-care crowd. Like, hey, man, like, Craig just is full of great manual cars. Like I, that's, that's, that's what I would drive, uh, you know, without question. But like, I think it's, I think it's dumb to get mad about that debate in this, in this year and beyond, you know, what's really going to kill the manual transmission for good. Like I'll tell you, if you want to know, I mean, what's electric, electrification. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Electric cars. Yeah. It's like, it's like, this is just utterly, utterly, utterly pointless. Like, like these, these are cars that do not need gears really, let alone uh, a clutch and a stick. Like that's, that's that's good to final nail that concept. Like you just need to get, wrap your head around it, buy something cool to use that you enjoy driving, whether if it's got a stick, and drive it as long as you can. You know, like that's that's my advice to you if you're the no manual, no care crowd. But like that that's uh, that's just a sale, my friend. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I absolutely see a limited lifespan on something that speaks from an authoritarian voice versus an empathetic voice, right? And I feel definitely like, agree. That's a good way right? to put it. Yeah, I, I think that that empathetic voice takes into context everything that somebody has to do in their daily life, the spectrum mm-hmm. of ownership of individuals, right? Like. Ian in his like VW R32, like, yes, you only drive it, you know, once a week, right? Whatever, you know, you shove the kids in it when you have to, right? But you have practical car, like understanding that like nobody lives at the track. Nobody like, you know, wants to be so goddamn hardcore every moment of their day, Mm -hmm. right? You're not going to take away my enthusiast card because I have, you know, an automatic transmission on my sedan, you know? Like it's it's perfectly fine, right? So like, stop. Uh, I don't want to listen to an authoritarian voice, right? I want somebody to be empathetic to my situations and speak from the heart, right? Yeah, yeah. I I I I think that that I think that's true of everything. Like I've never I've never loved people that have a hundred percent across the board moral certitude about everything they say and believe. Like right. that's not really a great way to go through life, you know? Right. Yes. No. Absolutely. It's like, it, I don't know. Like I like looking back on like Clarkson, like I I appreciate Jeremy Clarkson in a certain context, right? Like a little bit of a bubble, but like all I hear now is like somebody yelling at me that I'm doing something wrong. Right. Yeah. A lot of that stuff hasn't aged well. Go back and watch top here. Now it's, it's a lot of that stuff from the two thousands. It's just like, it it was a lot of the, the, the cheerful jingoism that they did. And it's just, it does. I I don't think it's aged great in the era of Brexit and, and everything else that's happened in recent years. Like it just, it just has a bit of a different undertone to it now. But I think, I think you're right. It's like, like, again, the the, the guiding principle we have, at least where I work is right for the audience you want, not the one you have. And one of my favorite compliments that we used to get at Jalopnik is we would do a thing where we would share our stories across the Gawker Gizmodo network. Yeah. Jalopnik stories to go to Deadspin, whatever. We, 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 I'm like, like no shit. Like readers would email us be like, I came into your stories because I saw it on Jezebel and I started reading it more because I liked the writing and I thought it was funny. And I just bought a manual transmission car. I bought my first fun car instead of my Honda Civic. And like, you turn me into someone who like cares about driving, cares about fun. Then we got that a lot. And I was like, that's the people I want to go after. I want to, I want to convert right. people. I want to be a bit of an evangelist. Like, like the empathetic voice who's like, Hey, you know, 
you can. You don't have to suck if you don't want to. Right. We have. Yeah. We can. We can help you with that if you want. You know. Right. You don't have That's to awesome. look at this as an appliance. Right. This is not a toaster that you're spending thirty yeah. grand on. Right. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. So, so like I I would be remiss if I if I left out a piece of like print media that's always made a huge impact on me and it's absolutely a thousand percent the photography. The photography mm. and print midi- media has been something that has stuck with me since I was a kid. Like I can think about car magazines like very specific R34 skyline pictures, right? Like the exact picture that one of their photographers took as the wheel was turning Mm -hmm. and like just the beautiful expression that that like that they're able to convey through photography. Right. And Mm -hmm. the online presence, like with everything that we have now, like it's, it's really hit and miss. Like, you know, like, you know, there's the documentary aspect of it, but then there's the like more artistic side that we get in little bits. So like, if we're talking about things that like we want to carry forward or things from print media that need to be kind of like to be carried into this new era, like the artistic expression and the photography is something that is so huge and so critical to me. No, you're right. And like, I, 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 I'm happy to speak to that for sure. Like I'm, I'm almost a garbage photographer myself. If you've ever read a Patrick or George review, um, <laughs> if the pictures were good, it's just Kristen Lee shot those photos or I got lucky that day. Um, <laughs> which is uh you know really rare but i remember when i was coming up in, in newspapers when i was just what a metro report like we had a whole staff of photographers like staff photographers yeah. good paying jobs and like just some of the best and most talented people i've ever worked with some of the bravest journalists i've ever worked with like you can go to a house fire you can stand back and talk to cops as i did but like the people who were getting up and could right. feel the heat of the flames from their face those are you those are your shooters and those are the people you went to battle with. And like when times got tough in print media and are still tough today, like they were often the first thing to get cut because some suit says, okay, well take a photo of your, with your cell phone. Or right. we laid off the photo staff and we bought, you know, three Sony point and shoots, just use those instead. And they look like garbage. Um, yeah. you know, that's I, your I, photojournalist I, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like on top of, oh, yes, you're also not getting paid more to do this. You're right, doing right. this on top of your existing job because deal with it. And um, that that has caused, I think, and this is very true in cars too, and, and on, the, on the on the blogosphere as well. I don't say that anymore. Okay, on on websites as well, the photography quality there is just is just not what it used to be, and it's it, it's an economic reality thing, unfortunately. Right. It's like, okay, cool. So I, I when I was running Jalopnik, and I had like direct command over our freelance budget in the course of a month. Like I could I could pay a really brilliant photographer. Um, three thousand dollars to shoot one car and it would be this beautiful spread um or i could buy five or six freelance features with that same amount of money too and i know which one i'm getting more roi out of it's going to be buying the store and like that the photos look cool but like convincing the suits like this is something that was worth spending money over when it's not necessarily a revenue driver that's tricky that's that's a challenge so like yes i i i sincerely believe in um the power of great photos and great photojournalism and cars and everywhere else. That's one of, my, one of my favorite car culture sites is still Speed Hunters. I read Speed Hunters a couple times a week. I think yeah, they still do it better than anybody else. Um, and they still believe in that power of a visual medium. Like you will never see a bad photo post on Speed Hunters. Uh, yeah. But like that's just not the case everywhere. When like you know, it just it's like it, it's 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 tough. Like it, it, if you want to be a good shooter in cars, you're probably a writer who bought a camera set 
of your with your own money. You probably taught yourself how to do it, and you probably learned by doing, and maybe trained to other photographers. Um, or you're like one of these like super badass folks, like Larry Chen, or somebody who has like corporate clients, and like you're like good enough to do this as like your job, job, and like that's hard to come by. And like those people tell you, those those gigs are really tough to get. Not everybody can be Larry Chen, even if you're like a badass of this field. Like would that we could be, but like that's that is a that's a hard thing to nail down, you know. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think also I know I'm the person who like five minutes ago said that nostalgia was, is a garbage emotion. But th- I think there's also something to be said for having the tangible photograph in your hand. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I don't think I've ever saved like a magazine, an online magazine story for the photo. I've seen amazing photos online, but I don't like I don't hang on to them, you know, but I have like 15 year old car magazines around, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a little bit different, but it is. And I mean, you know, it's, it's one pet peeve I have with reviews. This is verboten that the drive is like, most of the time it's verboten. Sometimes sometimes it still slips through, but uh, I, you know, like these automakers, when you go to press launch, you go to you go to uh, Portobello or something like that. Though they will give you like photos, like a, like yep. a thumb drive or a website full of photos that their shooter has taken. They're really good, high quality photos. But then guess what? You end up with the same photos in your article that like yeah thirty five other outlets have. And it looks like crap. And like I've done that because again, like that their photos are better than what I can shoot as a record. I'm not a great shooter, but like that's the, the trade off is then sameness, you know. And you you even see this in magazines now, like. Every car and driver, like you see tons of stock photos, you see it in, in, in road and track too. Like getting high quality original photography is a lot tougher than it was in the print era. And I think that's, that's something that we have sadly really lost in recent years, you know? Well, I think that's probably part, I mean, going back to kind of my previous question of like the power dynamic between automakers and media has like, is mm-hmm. like way out of whack now, where I think, you know, before automakers probably used to be a little more scared of, of, of journalists and and we're maybe a little more respectful of them right i, I don't know about no? even in the magazine yeah. era uh may, maybe you got to realize this is a very access driven form of journalism right. i mean i mean like 80 80 90 of it is just is just rewriting pr if you're if like along a lot of outlets like doing it adversarially uh, like, like Jalopnik did, like the drive does, like that is, that's fairly rare. Like, like something that's going to like, like you're talking, you're talking about adversarial journalism. You're talking about holding power to account. And these are very powerful car companies. These like Elon Musk can tweet something and it will, it will shift global financial markets. That is power. That's true. And like being critical of things like that, being critical of how General Motors uh, runs its company of, or, or, or it's, its role in the Flint water crisis, like we once did a story on, that means you lose access, you lose press cars, you lose opportunities to go on trips, you lose things, you lose, uh, you know, the people don't talk to you. And like that, not there, I think, I think a lot of forms of journalism, whether you're covering the White House or covering business, there's degrees of access, but uh, auto journalism in particular is a, is a field where that is expected to be the norm. If you go against that grain, you will pay for it. Or you'll lose, you'll lose chances to, to get things, you know, and like the best way, like you, you can be the friendliest writer on earth. And that's how you're going to get tons of opportunities, but it's not going to be something that's meaningful. It's just going to be marketing copy, you know? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah. 
I'm thankful for the demo- democratization though, because regular car reviews, right? Doug DeMuro, yeah. right? These people that like are certainly on opposite ends of like the YouTube car content spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they they found their voice like not operating within that access based model, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. Right, and because they have a platform that can reach so many people. Like they can can like they can feed this like continuous beast of non like regular car reviews just got their first press car like two weeks ago, right? Right. It's funny. You know? Oh my god! Like I, I've known I've known Brian for years, and like I remember yeah. when they first starting out, the fact they're getting press cars now is hysterical to me. So right? um, yeah. Yeah, the fact that Ian and I got press cars before regular car reviews with our 143 YouTube subscribers, right? Just because we showed up to the press event, right? You know, yeah. I mean, that that's something. Something is very wrong there because we're nowhere nearly as creative as him. No, it's funny, but like when that's, I'm, I'm glad you kind of brought that up. It's a good segue because when you want to talk about where car culture has shifted to, it's YouTube. It yeah. is. Yeah. Like that's that's where it's gone last like five, six, maybe seven years. And I remember being EIC of Jalopnik, especially when I would we were owned by um a company called Univisions, the big oh, big yeah. big old school TV magnate. And I was on their ass. I'm like, guys, we gotta be doing more on YouTube. Like this is where it's going. Like we need to be a YouTube first video operation here. And I was like, no, like I, I had endless fights from the corporate side to get back to the business realities of what we do. It's like we want to prioritize our like on-site player because we can charge more expensive ads that way. I'm like, okay, well, you can't share that video to forums to whatever, and it's not in the YouTube algorithm. Yeah, you, you get on you, you get on YouTube and you start clicking through videos, and then you're there for six hours or whatever. Right. Um. So we like dramatically missed out on that for a long time. Uh, I can't speak to the operation now because I worked there about two years, but like, I don't know if they ever got back to that. Like, like we missed the YouTube bandwagon. Um, and that's one thing that's really cool about where I work now is, which is the drive and flash drive is still a really widely recognized YouTube channel for cars. I, I would argue that the drive is, uh, often seen as a video first brand. Um, and last year we had really ambitious, uh, plans to bring back that channel in, in some big ways. And then, uh, uh, some stuff happened around March of last year in America that have, uh, you know, uh, Impacted people getting solid. together to collaboratively work in spaces on projects. Yeah, yeah all of a sudden it was a little it was a little trickier to send uh, Chris Harris to drift Ferraris in the south of uh, south of France or whatever than it was you know a few months ago. So like that's a work in progress for me and Mike Stelly. It's like a big thing we still believe in is, is like getting that channel to be the king like it like it was once. But like that's that is where YouTube has that's that's where car culture's gone. You're right, it is democratized. But it's, that, there's a trade-off with that, too. And I think Doug also, if you haven't had him on a podcast, you should get him on there. Doug will talk about this. The YouTube, the YouTube beast is a beast that must be fed. And that is yes. scary shit. That is, that is, is. just con- constant production. Constant heroin. Gaming yeah. the algorithm. Yes, all the time. Like, I remember when Freddie Hernandez um, switched that, too. He became primarily YouTube. He was like, you have to be doing this all of the time or you will lose followers. You will not be as highlighted in the algorithm. Like, it is a... It is a nasty thing to be a master to. And like, um, yeah, I had, I had moments like in my career, this is just to be a YouTuber. I'm like, Hey, I'm not that interesting on camera. Like, obviously, but like, I don't want to be, I would be feeding that, that beast all the time. That's scary as hell. So it is democratized, but like you're trusting a, you know, a Google owned algorithm with your future and your faith. And that's, that's a tricky proposition too. Right. 
Yeah. yeah, that's changed a lot over the years, even just since the in the inside of the YouTube era. I mean, like I think I think now of like I mean, I love Marty Mighty Carmods. Yeah. That would not happen now. Like those guys would not have made it because they were doing it as like a side project, like a couple of weekends a month sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It was not at the sort of pace that everyone else puts out videos, there's no way that they would be where they are now if they started now, you know? Yeah. And the revenue's not there like it used to be. Like it's, it's, it's a lot harder to make your money doing that. Like it's, it's, it's YouTube has kind of tightened the faucet in recent years, whether you're trying to be the next Jake Paul, which you God forbid you should absolutely not try and be the next Jake Paul. <laughs> please please um, don't everyone. Or, yeah. or, or, or if you're doing cars, like I, like the reason the drive was, was flash drive is because it was YouTube. YouTube gave them a grant early on to make a car channel, youtube.com yeah. slash drive. That's where the flash comes from. You, and, and they have like a, uh, I, 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 this was definitely before my time worked for this company, but like, I, I think they had a revenue sharing agreement or some kind. But anyway, they were financially incentivized, underwritten some degree by YouTube to make car content on YouTube. That doesn't exist anymore. Right. And like, that was why they tried to pivot to a subscription based model, uh, which didn't go super great for them. If you remember that from yeah. about five or six years ago, but like, it's a lot. And like, again, if you want to send Chris Harris to a racetrack to drift an F50, like that costs money that costs that time and it's fuel and it's play costs and it's food and it's feeding the crew and it's equipment. This is not a cheap venture making good video. Like it's, it's, and if it's, if you're not getting that revenue from YouTube to do it, to just pay, like, maybe break even, uh, what's the point, you know? Yeah. You're not going to shoot it on, you're also not going to shoot it on Tuesday and upload it on Wednesday. Like it's also right. like, yeah, long production cycle, which is not what they do. That's why, like the greatest, the greatest genius in this business was Matt Fair figuring out the one take setup. Yeah. I'm like this. I I I, right. I hate Matt forever. He's a good friend of mine, but like he came up with this one thing that I wish I had come up with because it's brilliant. You just you just set the camera, do it in one take. Uh, maybe there's maybe a little bit of editing, but it's like one and done, and it's super easily repeatable, minimal lift. He already has, obviously had a platform before he started doing that stuff too, but like it's tricky to pull off those kinds of repeats. And like, I think that the YouTube viewers, they want the beautiful cinematography. They will follow that yeah. stuff. Savage, Savage Geese does great at that too, but there's a reason he doesn't crank out, you know, nine videos a week. How can you, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. I like, I just want to make pretty stuff, right. We're so far yeah. in the red for like just our crappy videos that like, it's not even funny. We're never going to see that money come back, but that's okay. Right. Like yeah. I, I just want to make pretty things like, and that's, yeah. I, I, I was going to say, you should do the apex adjacent business model, which is released like two videos a year and they're <laughs> middling quality and, uh, are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's actually that's actually closer to a lot of big, big media car outlet video strategies than you might think. My friend. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if you want to get back to print media at all, but like, it, it's really sure. co- coincidental that uh, my good friend Sam, uh, noted uh, Fiat aficionado. Um, just sent me a, a magazine in the mail today. He sh- he shipped it to me in, in if we're talking, you know, uh, uh, time eras, he shipped it to me in an LP box. So I thought I was getting a record from my friend Sam, but he actually sent me this. Have you heard of this linkage? 
magazine. Linkage. I have not heard of it, but I will definitely look it up now. What's yeah, in it? It is. It's beautiful. It seems uh, like all of the kinds of things that you want to look at in print car, uh, print car media. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't really dug into it yet, but just leafing through it, this makes me feel like I'm looking at magazines at Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. late at night, right? When I'm like 19 again, you know, yeah. there's a Lancia Strato, Lancia Stratos in here, you know? It, it's okay. It, it's really, it's really hard yeah. to pronounce Lancia if you're an American. Like, yeah. I, it, it's just a trick word. You're fine. I'm making a on time. Yeah. yeah. Lots of strikes. No, but you're, here. you're right. That seems to be where, and I, I can't speak authoritatively. This is actually never worked in magazines. I was a newspaper guy and then I went to digital. That was the one thing I sort of somehow missed out on. But like, that seems to be one of the, the big places that car magazines are going. It's like these big, maybe yeah. quarterly, splashy, more expensive, thick, nice, nice paper, almost like a coffee table book, beautiful yeah. photography. Look at like, the uh, ad on the back. I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Road Rat, um, uh, R&T is leaning big into that. Like, they've stopped being monthly, and then eight times or ten times a year, they're doing that now. Like, that seems to be like the, okay, the economics aren't what they used to be. So we're going to charge you a little bit more, and you're going to have, like, a keepsake forever that's, like, a super high-quality, like, book almost for enthusiasts. And, um, you know, I I, I, I I admire the folks who are trying that. I'm eager, I'm eager to see how that how that pans out and if, and if they can really find a mass audience enough to like make this a viable venture. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's also like the best case scenario for, for cars in general sort of is like, and this is something we've talked about for years too, is cars kind of going the vinyl uh, yeah. route. I was just going to mention that. You know, we're going to have our iPod for our everyday thing you know you're going to have your mp3s that that you you listen to in your car but you're also going to have that copy you're also going to have that music on vinyl and that's the special thing hopefully we'll get to a place where it's all electrified mass transit and then we have we can preserve some sort of fun thing that we can touch and wrench on and drive uh for the weekends you know and we can get away from commuter culture which is garbage that's a great way to put it. I'm glad you're making the distinction between car culture and commuter culture, because a lot of uh, critics of cars, even though I, I actually agree with a lot of those criticisms, they don't make that distinction. Yes. And, uh, yeah. you know, car culture is like you and your buddies, like, getting together and, like, working on your Datsuns and going for a fun drive. Like, commuter culture is you and your, and your RAV4, like, uh, having a 90-minute a commute to work every day in mostly stop-and-go traffic. And, like, that sucks. I hate that, too. I, it's, right. it's objectively terrible. I, why, who, who wants to live like that? Yeah, it um, also means that if you're, in, if you're doing that, you're not driving, right? Like, you absolutely. can't drive yeah. because there's too many people around. Yeah. And, I mean, like, some people liken that to, like, oh, cars would be, like, horses, the thing you do as, as, as pleasure. And so, yeah, maybe. But I think that um, the thing to remember is that despite what – Elon Musk and and a bunch of tech startups will tell you. I think that autonomous driving is a lot further off yeah. than people would have you believe. Like a lot, a lot, a lot further off. Like AI isn't there. The sensor tech isn't there. We're working on it. It's better than it was ten years ago. But like, it's just I don't I don't really. I'd be shocked if we had true, fully safe driverless cars in any of our lifetimes. I would yeah. be I would be very surprised about that. It's like, a really boondoggle. And I, yeah. I, I have a little bit of a perspective on this because I, I, in the industry that I work in, I'm a, I'm a network engineer. And yeah. this has been a big thing in 
IT is automating mm. IT systems. Yes. And there's always been like this, uh, this constant cycle of someone coming out with some like ocean boiling technology that's going to mm-hmm. like, you know, that's going to solve everybody's problem. And it's going to completely automate everybody's network. Mm-hmm. And then they find out that everyone's network is hot garbage and <laughs> yeah. you can't automate it. And, and so they narrow it down. And it's like, well, there's, then they start defining use cases and that's what autonomous cars has not done. Right. Like there's not right. a whole lot of conversation, uh, about like in popular media anyway of like we have to really narrow down use cases of what driving is because driving as we know it today is horrendously complicated and like yeah all sorts of crazy situations you know mm-hmm. it's yeah I mean, human brain is an underrated thing man. like that's yeah, it's, right. it's, it's a it's a beautiful thing and it, it's it's more complicated and it's, it's it's more capable and more powerful than we and the technologists in the future tend to give it credit for, I think. Yeah. Um, there's also a problem with autonomous cars that it's an idea in search of a business model is that no one has really figured out how to make this work. Like, it's like, I, okay. It's like maybe ideally we have networks of just various on demand robot cars roving the cities that you just order up like, like, like a robot Uber, whatever you need. Okay, cool. What about the rest of the country? What if you're not in, in like, a, a city center. What I guess, I guess we just have privately owned vehicles that, that can navigate highways really well, like, like super, super, super cruise. I don't know. Like, I don't right. think anyone has figured that out. I also think, um, I think the pandemic has set that, that back a little bit, that idea. Like, I, I think a lot of us are a little less apt to, uh, get into car sharing than we, we were a year and a half ago. Maybe that'll change eventually, but I think it's kind of like that, that, that whole industry sort of retrenched when, with pandemic, and I, I don't, I don't think it's really yeah. found quite a way, a way forward yet. I mean, what I will say is, like, I, the way I've tried to approach this as, as an editor in charge of car publications is, I've been very excited and bullish on um, on electric cars and very skeptical of autonomous cars. Yeah, and in both cases, I think I've been proven fairly right, and that's kind of how you know, I, I, I that's how I'd like to look at the future. I'm, I'm really excited about EVs. I, I believe in climate change. I believe climate change is real. Some of the EVs I've driven lately are fast as hell and a lot of fun. And like, I, I'm excited to see what happens there. But like, I'm, I'm really like, oh, we just need five more years and we'll have driverless cars. Yeah, sure. Sure, Elon, whatever you say, man. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that assessment. And I, and I think as far as like a business model for, for autonomous vehicles, it would take, I think that it would take somebody pouring, I mean, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars into developing some sort of car to car and car to infrastructure technology that they could then license to everybody, but everyone would have to agree to do it to, to me. And nobody's going to, nobody's going to agree on anything. We can't agree that water's wet. Like right. I mean. it's just, we can't agree on EV charging standards, right? Yeah. Like, so, no, right. my God. Yeah. That, right. That, so that, like yeah. a, a standard communication set and data storage and data handling and everything else yeah. worldwide, it's just not going to happen. Right. Um, yeah. We couldn't do that in a city, in a municipality, let alone, you know, country, nation, you know, continent. Right. And, the, and the stakes are just is so incredibly high. It just, it's, it's, like I said, it's a boondoggle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the charging thing is, it is insanely frustrating. Like I've had, <laughs> I, I'm in upstate New York and it's like, 
what like garbage filled uh snow covered charge point station that may or may not work this week am i going to use to charge my ev that i could park it overnight like 20 minutes from my house yeah. like i want to get i want to get a home charger for our house up here at some point but i'm not there yet but like um i remember like i when i, I it was a few years ago when, when bmw was launching the uh the electric mini cooper they did it it's a oh, yeah. e-race in, in, in brooklyn in um 2019, I guess. Um, who the hell? It's 500 years ago. It's, it's our, what is time anymore, right? right? It means um, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we're aiming this, this Mini Cooper at like, at like young urban, urban city dwellers. And I'm like, where are you supposed to charge this thing? I was like, well, you charge it at your office. You get your, you get your employer to add charging stations at your office. I was like, dude, I live in New York City. Like, <laughs> I maybe drive a car once a week to go grocery shop and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to drive this at, at, to my office and park it where and get my employer to pay for electric charging. And they just kind of, like, the German engineers just kind of looked at me like, well, you know, figure it out. I don't know. It's like, it's like, we'll make, we'll make the battery powered cars. The rest is your problem and screw you. Right. And like, that's, that's it, you know? Right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Screw you for asking about it. Yeah, it is. And like, I, I have plenty of criticisms of Elon Musk and and of, and of Tesla. Like, I have to give them infinite credit for building out the supercharger network sure. and making it free for a long time. That's the smartest thing they ever did. Yeah. It spurred adoption not just of their electric cars, but of EVs in general. Now, how do I wish they made it universal and that any EV I could charge it at a supercharger station? Yeah, absolutely. But like. Doing that with a master stroke, they deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah, but that that's also very frustrating. Now I agree with you that they deserve credit for it, but now it's frustrating because it seems to me like that's a pretty good business model of just licensing it to car makers who could then just pass that cost on as even mm-hmm. just an add-on license to to their customers because the plug itself is not the problem; it's the software, right? So yeah, they could easily license that you would think to other car makers um, for a pretty, I would think a pretty hefty fee and car makers would pay it because they'll just pass it on. Yeah. Cause absolutely none of them want to invest in the uh, charging infrastructure in what I would consider a meaningful way. Like, like there's right. folks who I can do electrify America and like they're doing that because they have to, because yeah. like the United States government is making them do that because they cheated with diesel engines. Like if, if, if that hadn't happened, none of this crap would be happening with DW. But like, I just, I, I think they have these partnerships, these, these third party networks that are really half-assed and it's just, it, it's a joke. And it's, I think that America's charging network now, and I think in the immediate term, does not in any way match the high electric ambitions that these automakers have. Right. Like these, like these, these crappy charge point stations, it's hard to dump on charge point all the time. That's what I have up here. They all suck. Um, <laughs> What, I'm supposed to charge my my hundred thousand dollar crab walking like Hummer uh, electric truck that, that that can drive itself almost is supposed to charge there. Like how is that appealing? That's 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 terrible. You know, yeah. there's one uh, by my house that I think it's also a charge point uh, that's uh, by a Walgreens, and it's just uh, <laughs> it's just always piled super. Every time I see it, piled high with uh, uh, doggy poo bags. Uh, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, I, I hope someone listens to Apex and Jason who works at Charge Point, but like, just <laughs> nope, like nobody you're, does. You're, your product's a joke, y'all. Like, it's terrible. <laughs> like, do, do better, man. I, I need to just rail these people in the blogs more because, like, it's just it's not what it needs to be. It's a shame because, like I said, I'm a believer in electric cars, and I yeah. and I, I I want this technology to catch on. I I want us to, I want us to wean ourselves more off of um, 
you know, fossil fuels with our cars. And like, this is not making it easy to do that. No, yeah. no, it's I like agree. we have, we've driven uh, Nissan Leafs at press events and we like, we like we recommend those to everyone. I have a friend of mine who actually his wife bought one because we had like Ian and I had such a hilarious time like tooling around on like high efficiency tires and a Nissan Leaf like <laughs> so many tire noises it was great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, hilarious and fun and the e-pedal like the one foot driving is amazing. Yeah. Like oh yeah, we love it. We love it. Yeah. It's great. It's great for cornering to turn on the oh one pedal driving just like lift off and it, it it like breaks hard on its own and you can right. like modulate the throttle going into a corner. I just I had a Volkswagen ID four earlier this year, which I liked, but I thought it was a little half baked. Like it, it probably needed about six to eight more months of development. And I just had a Moss a Mustang Mach E was testing okay. which I loved. And I was like, Holy crap, this thing actually owns it 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 kinda drives like a Mustang, just a very different one. But I was looking at like leasing one of those when I when I got I was like like stacking out a lease price on a Mach E, which I don't often do when I I turn okay. a press car anymore. Yeah, you know. Yeah, nice. like, this seems great. Your conversion rate's low. They got you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. They, they did. It, it's usually it's 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 you gotta they'll, these days the only thing that gets me anymore is the really weird stuff. And I was sure. like, and then I drove the Mach E. I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah. I got my Matt Farah bought one certainly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Nice. Um. I do before we before we have before we have to wrap up. I want to play a game of FMK cars with you. Yes, <laughs> Dave, do you want to explain it? Yes, FMK cars is the game that we play on the show. It's based on the classic game of fuck, marry, kill. But since we're not disgusting individuals, we don't play it with people. We play it with cars. So we're going to give you yeah. three. You're going to choose FMK. Uh, F means uh, it. You drive it for a day. M means you marry. Mm. It's your daily driver. K means you have to crush the car. So Right. Yep. Right. Yep. So Ian gotcha. will, we're, we're, we're tracking. Okay. All right. Ian's going to give you three, and we're going to go from there. All right. So this one's called, It's Good to Be the King. Cars from the front page of the Drive or Car Bibles right now cars with an Bible. editorial twist. So there's going to be a twist with each one of these. All right. Okay. So the first one, a Lotus Elise. So you had a story about a uh, Lotus selling off the tooling for the Elise. Yeah. 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 The catch with this one is that none of your freelancers will hit their deadlines. Oh, God. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hit him right where it hurts out of the gate. Well, Ian. Um, okay. We got to get him a good one, a good car. To bed. Even if that's an impossible choice. How could I make that? All right. Okay. So okay. the next right, one. Well, do I have to give you an answer now, or do I? No, oh, you, I, wait, we'll give hear you all answer, of them. Yeah. Hear all of them, and then okay. you do F M K to one each one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the next one, 2021 Ford Bronco. None of your staff writers or freelancers will ever spell a a source's name incorrectly. So they will get. They will. There will be no copy editing, like fatal errors in any articles essentially impossible but thanks anyway yeah keep going <laughs> but yeah. that's that's what you get with the bronco right all right um all right so last one 2021 karma gs6l um your websites are all now google Docs style publications so the public can watch your writers compose their blogs in real time man this is a this is a really Difficult choice to make here. Okay. 
What what was uh, that last one, Ian? Yeah, it's so it's the 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 kind of like continuation of the Fisker. It's like the they bought the IP yeah. of the Fisker and they're gonna like kind of redo it. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's like the fourth is, iteration of this or whatever. It's like the fourth iteration, and like also like Fisker is also back, but it's not that. Like you have the Fisker and you have the Karma, but the Fisker Karma isn't. I don't know. It's it's, it's, it's weird anyway. Gotcha. Um, okay, cool. So I have to. So of those three insanely difficult choices, I I have to pick one to tell this works. You 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 pick one to drive for a day, and then you get have to live with that catch for a day. You pick okay. one to marry, which is your daily driver, and you live with the catch for the rest of your life. And then K, you kill one of them, and you don't have to drive the car or live with the catch. Okay, uh, I would. I've got to follow my heart here, and I would say that I would uh, daily drive the Lotus even though this means that none of my writers ever hit deadline ever again. And that'll just incentivize me to get a real job. Okay, fine. That's fine. <laughs> I love so it because you're, win. you're either going to die in a ball of fire from the Lotus or just self-immolate yeah. from stress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Or, or, or someone will fire me. Yes, one of the two. So, okay. But either way, I have a Lotus, which rad, you know? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, but, so okay. then... Yeah, F uh, F and kill uh, the Ford Bronco and the Karma. And what was the catch with the Karma again, Ian? Um, the websites are all like Google Docs style now. Oh, so basically you, yeah. You watch it. I'd, I'd F the Karma. So you drive okay. for a day, right? Yep. And then for one day, and for one day, everyone gets to see us compose the stories in Google Docs. That'd be a fun one day experiment. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, this unfortunately means we must kill the Bronco, and I'm I'm sad to do this because I actually really like the new Bronco. I haven't driven it yet, but I I, I think that car's really cool. This is nothing against the Bronco. It sure. just it just ends up in third place, uh, uh, by because of circumstances. And you know, R.I.P. Bud. Sorry, sorry, I couldn't sorry I couldn't treat you better. <laughs> I I do love that you did you crushed the only car that made your life at work easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. Because, I think that's like, yeah. telling. I think that's telling. What's well, that's, that's a good point because like we like we like subsisted on like Bronco spy shots at two publications I've run now for like a couple of years. Like that's just like un- that underwrote the entire program. Otherwise, so yeah, I'm I'm really eating my eating my own uh, children with this one. But well, know, not for, only that, whatever. but like, the catch was that your freelancers don't make any errors. Well, that's what I'm for. Yeah. So oh, that's I'm, I'm, if I, oh, if I did, go. I'd be I'd be I'd be getting myself out of a job. I guess. <laughs> okay. So. All right. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. I like that. I like that. Yeah. That's good. Some good good test, gentlemen. Some, some difficult choices there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means we did our jobs, um, yeah. for which we're paid handsomely. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Um. Well. I think this was delightful. I think we did yeah. uh, a full, a whole car show. We did a whole, a whole show about cars. I did want to mention before we let, before we leave that because uh, we talked about uh, your video forays in Jalopnik. I love carguments. Um, no, thank you. That was fun to do. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of those. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. That was another one. It was like, what can we do? Because we're based in New York City, that's easily repeatable, and is not going to be just like. We have to spend five days out in the field, like you know, right. lovely. So we'll, we'll just let's just film the, us, us yelling at each other, which we we did anyway. 
you know, yes. the course of our day. And it was, it was a lot of fun. So I wish I, I miss, I miss that, I miss that era of things, you know? Yeah. For those sure. were, those were fantastic. Um, but this was delightful. Thank you so much for coming on Patrick. Um, we will have to have you back on at some point. Ian and Dave, this is my pleasure. I would love to be back anytime. Let's do this again soon. Thank you so much for having me on gentlemen and uh, have a good one. All right. You too. You too. Thank, Thank you. you Patrick. Bye. Take care.